Welcome to Answering the Call with host Elizabeth Ficacella. In this program, Elizabeth gives us a glimpse into the spiritual journeys of priests, deacons, and religious sisters and brothers from the Columbus Diocese who have heard and answered God's call. And here's your host, Elizabeth Ficacelli. Hi, and thanks for joining us on Answering the Call here on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 and streaming live on stgabrielradio.com. I'm your host, Elizabeth Ficacelli, and this is a program, Answering the Call, that gives us a chance to meet some of our priests, our deacons, our religious sisters and brothers, and learn about their spiritual journeys as they responded to God's call in their own lives. And our guest today is Father Ryan Schmidt. He's an associate pastor of St. Matthew's Catholic Church in Gehanna. And he's one of our newer priests in the diocese. He just celebrated his one-year anniversary as a priest. And my first experience of Father Ryan was at the Marian Conference last year. We went to a Friday night mass on on the campus of ODU, and this young priest walks out and um, begins to speak fluent Latin. And I was thinking, who is he? And I'd love to get him on the show. So welcome to AM820, Father Schmidt. Thank you for having me on. Now, Father Schmidt is from Grove City, Ohio, where he and his sister were raised in a Catholic family and attended parochial school at Our Lady of Perpetual Help um, for grades uh, kindergarten through eighth grade. But, Father, even before kindergarten, you had um, kind of an interesting encounter with the Lord at the age of four. Why don't you tell us about that story? Well, it was uh, Christmas, midnight mass, and we were at Delphi St. John's, where my dad grew up at. And the custom at this parish was that, you know, you'd go up to, uh, you know, toward the front of the church to exit. Uh, and my parents, we got the church only about 15 minutes before it started. And so for, you know, Christmas Eve mass, there was no place for us to sit as a family. And so I was well behaved enough that, you know, my parents were willing to let me just, you know, sit down by myself, mm-hmm. uh, basically behind a pillar, which was like the only spot left in church. <laughs> And so there I sat for, you know, every bit of an hour. And I, I was trained well enough to know that, okay, about an hour, this is about how long Mass <laughs> should is. should be over. <laughs> and so I see this, you know, whole stream of people, row by row, going up to the front of the church. And, you know, I, what I assume is exiting. And, you know, okay, so I look around for my mom and dad to come get me so that we can leave. And, well, they never came. And so then all of a sudden, I'm like, well, I guess I'll meet them at the door. And so I just follow the line and, hey, I get up to the front of the church and I'm like, oh, this is not the line to leave. This is the line for communion. <laughs> and so, and before this time, my parents, you know, they just always, you know, keep my sister and I back in the pews when they would go to receive communion. And so, I never really had any kind of experience going up there. And so, here I am going up there and I'm like really nervous. What do I do? I have no clue. And so, then I started listening and I'm hearing, oh, there's some kind of dialogue going up, up there. And I hear, you know, the priest saying, the body of Christ, amen. And I'm like, oh, so that's what that is. And so the body of Christ. And so uh, I received my first Holy Communion. Like I said, I wasn't sure if it's age four or five, but regardless, is one of the two. And yeah, Christmas, uh, midnight mass. And well, it was one of the awkward things. And so then afterwards, you know, I tell my parents that, hey, guess what? I received communion today. I didn't, you know, know I was going to, but, <laughs> and so everyone in the family was just kind of like when there's like awkward stunned silence is like, oh, what do we do? And <laughs> and so from then I was like, well, what meaning does this have as I was preparing for my, you know, I guess my official first communion in second grade with the rest of my class. And so, you know, when I received my second first communion uh, in second grade, <laughs> And I thought about, you know, maybe one day perhaps I'd be called to the priesthood. And that is in part because 
uh, at some point, my you know mom and dad told me that you know if you ever became or want to become a priest, we would support you in that decision. And so, without missing a beat at that time, it startled me you know very much so. <laughs> and I just turned to my sister and I says, "Well, I'll become a priest when my sister becomes a nun." <laughs> and she had an even more awkward look of silence on her face. And well, as it turned out, I just you know married my sister, in fact, uh, to a great guy. Uh, okay, Eric. so she didn't turn out to be a sister. Okay. No, she did not. But you know she's married to a great guy right now, and you know the family is all happy about this. So, um, so, so the idea of priesthood was sort of percolating back then in those early, early right. grade years. Um, but you had lots of things you were interested in. Right. Uh, and at the time, you know, I was really thinking about you know becoming a professional basketball player, uh, <laughs> but. I real I realized that probably that wouldn't be the case, and so I had to have a backup plan. So I figured as a backup plan, maybe becoming a doctor or something of that nature, and so that was you know the general idea growing up through you know grade school and the middle school. And by the time I get to you know middle school, I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be basically either a doctor or a priest, and that really um, became cemented when I found out only then that. I guess what I had a whole bunch of you know priests and religious sisters you know from my dad's side of the family and so I'm like oh this is something that is not totally new to this family and so it's not all that you know out of the you know left field area so with that in mind I'm thinking that is more of a possibility with that knowing and, and what do you think it was that made the idea of priesthood kind of go from maybe the bottom of the list to the top of the list by eighth grade well I mean even back then there was you know the remote knowledge that hey we need priests, and you don't see too many young priests. And uh, I'd always, you know, had somewhat of an interest in religion, not necessarily uh, in the, you know, I go home every night and I uh, read all these, you know, lives of the saints or, you know, praying rosary after rosary every day, you know, at that young age. But, um, you know, I definitely had an inclination towards it. And there's just something that, you know, you couldn't put my finger on to articulate, but it was just simply a knowledge and presence that was always there. If anything, you could say that, you know, I served mass frequently uh, growing up and that uh, close proximity to the altar uh, may have been that seed that was planted mm -hmm. there that, you know, kept that going. Okay. Now, after eighth grade, you had your first taste of public school. You mm -hmm. went to Grove City High School and that must have been a really big change for you. Absolutely. Uh, I knew from, you know, friends that had graduated ahead of me that, you know, it was going to be nothing like you had experienced at Our Lady Perpetual Help. Uh, but what they were all telling me is that, oh, it's the greatest thing ever because, <laughs> you know, you don't have to wear uniforms and that's fine. Okay. Uh, but more than that, though, it was just, you know, it was so much more relaxed environment in terms of, you know, you could get away with, you know, almost murder. Not really, but, mm -hmm. you know, and so... Uh, and that's where all my other friends were going, and I lived right across the street. And so for me, it was kind of the easy place to go, and that's where I ended up deciding to go. Now, and we're not singling out this high school because this high school was typical of, of the high schools at the time, the sure. typical of the high schools today. Um, but there was a lot of bad behavior that um, you were now being exposed to in high school that you really didn't have to contend with before that. Right, and, and you know, as a uh, Our Lady, the worst thing that could possibly happen is that someone came to school and they didn't get all of their homework done. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you go from that kind of environment to a public school environment where maybe in an entire class only, you know, a couple kids in the entire class have actually done their homework and everyone else either doesn't do it at all and doesn't care that they didn't do it, or, you know, most likely, you know, there's just a lot of copying that was just very rampant. And 
in that, you know, being when you see the rest of the big picture in a public school environment as being one of the, you know, what we'll say lesser sins, uh, it really was a very much of a culture shock to me. Now, in, in the midst of high schools where, where we all kind of know that the things like drinking and, and drugs and, and sexual behavior is happening. I mm-hmm. mean, that's just the, the reality. Um, how did you stay away from that? How how did or how did you feel about all of that? Well, you know, I really was, you know, disappointed that it was as prevalent as it was. And, you know, I had, you know, friends that if I wanted to go hang out with, you know, at their parties or whatever, I'd be free to do that. But for the most part, I just, I really didn't want to put myself into that near occasion of sin because, you know, you go to, you know, these places long enough where everyone else is doing it, then, you know, soon enough, I'm sure that, you know, peer pressure will, you know, just lead you into that very thing. And so... You know, I more or less just, you know, stayed away from the whole picture altogether and, uh, you know, had a, you know, very select, you know, group of friends that, you know, we just, you know, hang out, you know, play golf uh, well into the evening, play pool. And, but when it came to, you know, the parties, you know, I just say, okay, you can go upon your way, but I'll, you know, stay back and do something else that night. Now, in the midst of all the challenges that were going on around you, um, what happened to your faith during the high school years? Well, I became, you know, somewhat... Um, disgruntled, I suppose, as, you know, you see a lot of kids that, you know, are in all sorts of different youth groups that, okay, they're, you know, the leaders of these youth groups and, you know, they're saying one thing, but at the same time, you know exactly what's going on in the weekends Mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, and it's like you see the uh, just inauthentic, you know, nature of, you know, that living out of the faith and, it just really turned me off to it in general. And so I more or less was just content to just simply, you know, go it alone almost and just, you know, really stick to just, you know, by myself and just with my friends on a secular basis. Did it dissuade you in your um, thought about priesthood? Absolutely. Uh, during that time, if I was in eighth grade and I was thinking, you know, really as a coin flip between going to seminary or going to, you know, a college to eventually go to medical school at that point, by the time I got through even halfway through my freshman year of high school, the thought of the priesthood was like just absolutely remotely, you know, not even close to being there. It was totally gone. And I had totally just turned my back on the whole idea of a vocation of the priesthood altogether. Now, college for you would uh, start out in uh, Miami and Oxford, Ohio, and then uh, you would come back here to OSU. The same kind of behaviors you witnessed in, in high school were present in college, and I'm sure it, to even a worse degree. Again, that's just the reality of our day and age. Um, were you still able to to resist and, and kind of keep yourself socially alienated from the culture? Well, you know, there too, like I began in the first semester in with the, more or less the same thing I did in high school. But by this time, I really thought to myself, okay, uh, I'm pretty close to 21 and I may as well, you know, start, you know, doing a lot of the things that a lot of my other friends at colleges were, you know, doing on the weekends. And so... I did start to dabble in that, and well, it was certainly, you know, on the surface, a good time and all of those things that you'd expect on an interior spiritual level, uh, you know, I really was feeling like I was dying inside, Mm -hmm. and, you know, while I, you know, thought this, okay, well, what am I going to do? Do I continue on this path where I have this external happiness, or do I try to, you know, get things right with God? Because, you know, at this time... Was it going to church on a regular basis? Absolutely not. Uh, I would go to church, you know, maybe, you know, on a once a month, you know, occasion at best. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, you know, because, well, I wasn't truly happy from the time that I stopped discerning a vocation to the priesthood in eighth grade 
And so that was the one thing that was truly different, you know, other than just the environment. But knowing that I wasn't discerning that, I started getting that seed in the back of my mind thinking that maybe I should continue to think about, am I called the priesthood or not? And yet at the time, though, I had this, you know, great misconception that, well, okay, I had, you know, being a sinner in college and there's no way that given that, you know, I was a sinner that I could become a priest because my idea of a priest was someone that, you know, their only sin was original sin yes. and they have birds perching on their fingers <laughs> and right. and I knew that, well, that wasn't me and so I really couldn't be a priest and so I just kind of, you know, let it be something that, well, maybe if I was 30, 40 years old and I wasn't married, then maybe then I would pursue a vocation to the priesthood. But at this point, one thing I did know for sure was that I had to start at least, you know, make a good confession start going to church on a regular basis and then not only that but actually learn about my faith because in college i encountered so many people that were not catholic or not even christian that you know you see that many different aspects and you know world views that you want i wanted to learn about them and you know think to myself you know okay i want all people to be saved and so i want to be able to you know talk about religion and yet at the same time i'm thinking okay i'm not living out my own faith and mm-hmm. so that's something that i really need to learn myself and so that really got the ball rolling on investigating studying and learning the faith okay and at osu um you, so you said you began to get back in this routine of going to mass on a regular basis uh you considered initially pre-dentistry as a major but since the thought of priesthood was still in your mind you were concerned about, you know, incurring a whole bunch of debt and going down that path if, if you really did have a true calling. So you abandoned that degree idea and you switched to turf grass science. This is correct. I didn't know there was such a degree. I get that all the time. And usually it does garner laughs, which is a good icebreaker when I introduce myself to groups of people. But, you know, my whole idea was that from the time I was able to work until the time that, you know, I had switched majors there in the summer times, I'd always worked at golf courses for the principal reason that if I worked there, I get free golf. And, you know, one of the big reasons for wanting to become, you know, a dentist or a doctor of some variety was to, okay, be able to work at a job where I could afford to golf. To play golf. <laughs> and then I thought, well, you know, if I get this job, then maybe I could just simply move out to Colorado and I could golf in the summer and ski in the winter and life would be great uh, <laughs> but you know that's not how things ended up panning out because you know, as I started going through my classes at Ohio State and I started going to daily mass more and more you know the sense of the call of the priesthood really started becoming not a matter of you know decades from now but you know years or just you know something that almost I should be doing right now and yeah we're talking with Father Ryan Schmidt of St. Matthew's uh, Catholic Church in Gahanna, and he's our guest today on Answering the Call here on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. I'm your host, Elizabeth Ficicelli, and we're talking to Father Schmidt about his spiritual journey into the priesthood. Um, now, Father, you had an interesting experience during a summer internship out in Las Vegas uh, the summer before your senior year. Why don't you share that story? Certainly. Well, I mean, it really starts back in Columbus, where you know, I'm going to try to get to literally every church in the central Ohio area just because, you know, I just like looking at the different, you know, churches and how different priests said mass. And um, along the way is like, okay, Holy Family was this church that was on my list that I just never seemed to, you know, get around to finding the time to get to. And so I was at Holy Cross Church one evening and for their first Friday devotions and Father Lutz was there and he had mentioned that there would be a low mass the following day for a first Saturday at Holy Family. And I thought to myself, oh, great, I can finally get to Holy Family and I could, you know, finally see this Latin Mass that, you know, is offered there. And so when I go there, 
I, you know, it was totally like a fish out of water. I had no idea what to expect. I expected to be more or less just like, you know, any other mass except said in Latin. Mm-hmm. And so I go there with, you know, bright blue tennis shoes, um, <laughs> shorts, and, you know, just looking totally out of place. But I was one of the first people there. And, you know, so Father Lutz sees me and he says, Ah, oh, you must be new here. Come sit up in the front pew. <laughs> it was a tennis shoes. <laughs> yes, and so I, I go up to the front pew and I, you know, sit with a uh, gentleman up there who has a missile, and he had, you know, show me basically where we were at in the mass, and just if I had any questions that he could say, okay, what's going on? And so from the time that mass started, uh, from the time that the choir started, you know, going into the Gregorian chants, uh, I mean, it was just like a sensory overload because of just the. Uh, in every way, shape, and form, just the intrinsic beauty of that Mass and the way it was offered and reading the prayers and what was being said, and I'm just thinking to myself, this is, you know, what I've been missing. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been looking for this. I've been literally going all around the Columbus area looking for this, undoubtedly. And so when I got the Holy Family from that first time, I mean, I knew that I had really found a spiritual home there. And not only that, but I found a you know, true spiritual father in Father Lutz and a lot of the people that, you know, would go to Holy Family as well. And so it was just a great community to really be supported in the faith at. And so from that point on out, I really started making every effort to get to this Mass as often as possible. But to get to uh, Las Vegas, uh, at Holy Family, there was a young, or there was a guy that would tell me every time that he'd see me, precisely why he thought that I was called to be a priest. Mm-hmm. And after the first time that you, you know, hear him say this, you know, you think, okay, fine, whatever. Then, you know, after a while, you just, you know, it's kind of in one ear out the other. Um, it just, I'm just like, okay, if he is determined to say this, fine. So I'm out in Las Vegas and this guy walks up to me after, you know, the first time I walk into the Las Vegas Cathedral and he sees me and says, I don't know if you realize this yet, but you have a call to the priesthood. Mm-hmm. Now, back in Columbus, when I'd go to the daily masses at every different place, there was a while where every time I'd go to church, it seemed that some new person was coming up to me, asking me if I was a seminarian or if I'd thought about becoming a priest. But this is the first time that, you know, other than this one guy that someone's telling me that you are called to the priesthood. And so I asked him, well, why do you say that? And then he launches into this. I don't know if this will make sense to you, but... And he says, word for word, the exact same thing that this guy back in Columbus would say. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, in a state of just absolute shock. I don't know what to do. I'm like, okay, is this guy, you know, from God, from the devil? What's going on here? Uh, what to do? Uh, you know, I, I wanted to see him touch holy water just to see if he... <laughs> I mean, it, I was just like, that just unnerved. But, but I mean, everything that he's saying was absolutely true and i couldn't deny that and it's what i was you know feeling deep down but i just couldn't really reconcile answering that call and so um after you know going our separate ways you know for the rest of the summer out in las vegas i had a great sense of peace thinking to myself that okay yes i really do agree that god is calling me to the priesthood and i really need to investigate this and whether i you know go through a seminary to get to the priesthood or not i at least have to go you have to try it yes um, and so you would, have to, I'm just I'm amused by your story because, you know, God is funny that way. If if we don't get it the first time, he tells us again through maybe a different way. But I mean, just even having that word for word experience was really sounding like affirmation. So when you came back to OSU for that senior year, you you initiated the ball rolling um, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, being able to get into Josephinum immediately after your senior year at OSU. Um, and so when you entered seminary that following fall, because uh, we've had a lot of priest guests on the show that... You know, for some of them, the affirmation was right away from the very first day they were there. Others, 
you know, not so much, you know, a lot of challenges. They even left for a while, came back, that kind of thing. So for you, what was it? Was it, yes, this is where I belong or were there still doubts? Well, there were some doubts because um, at the time, my being from Holy Family wasn't, you know, looked with, you know, great favor at the time. Um, and so that was somewhat of an issue. And it was something that in the first year or two, you know, was an issue. But um, especially once Father Wayner came to the Josephinum, uh, that was no longer by any way an issue at all. And so once Father Wayner came, I really felt that, okay, I was truly, you know, comfortable with the Josephinum and I could really grow spiritually um, with a, you know, true sense of, you know, just trust in the formation that was being done there. Um, and so certainly seminary was not a time that I was, you know, just like, okay, every day is a reaffirmation of just, you know, how definitely I'm called to the priesthood because certainly there were many, many, many days where I'm just thinking to myself, God, if you're calling me the priesthood, I mean, you know, like, okay, this is, you know, definitely a trying time. But, you know, the same time is like, I cannot see myself doing anything else. And, um, you know, just the shared experience with the rest of the guys that are in the community and knowing that, you know, there are so many guys that are, you know, having the same, you know, issues and, you know, just discussing them together um, is just a reaffirming thing for a lot of people in that regard. And so that gave me the support to continue on. So you were ordained a year sure. ago. Um, what was your ordination like? Unbelievable. Uh, it is at the same time the most joyous, nerve-wracking, uh, you know, every kind of emotion mixed into one that you can, you know, try to describe. And, you know, when everything is said and done, it's like, I'm a priest. You know, okay, after all this, you know, journey to get from there to here, okay, now the real work begins. Now, you know, I really have to go forward into the vineyard of the Lord to work, to, you know, win souls for Christ. And, um, you know, that's been basically, you know, the story of the year so far. What, what's been the reaction of your friends and family to, to your vocation? Family has always been, you know, very supportive of my vocation, the priesthood. Certainly, you know, my you know, grandmothers and, you know, my older <laughs> relatives are just like, you know, ecstatic about this. Uh, and, you know, and that, and that could be said to the same with the rest of my family. Uh, but, you know, at, at the same time, my family has always been just very supportive of whatever myself or my sister, you know, kind of wanted to do. It's like, you know, like if this is what, you know, feels is going to make you happy in life, then we support you 100% in that. And so that was the important thing for them is that, you know, to do what is going to make you happy in life. And if that's, you know, becoming a priest, all the better. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, what do you find most rewarding about being a priest today? Being able to offer uh, the sacraments. Uh, I mean, as I think about that, I mean, I have to say, you know, the Mass first and foremost, but at the same time, um, I don't know, maybe it's a, one of the strange things, but I love waking up in the middle of the night to, you know, the phone calls of hospitals, like, you know, someone is dying and they need to be anointed, uh, to be able to, you know, bring that sacrament to someone that is truly, you know, like in great need of it, and to be able to, you know, give them that comfort and their families that comfort in knowing that they died with the sacraments. Yeah. And speaking of the sacraments, what was it like, um, you know, to begin hearing confessions? Is that something that you're nervous when you're going through the, the process, the, 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 the undergrad and the theology? Are, how do they prepare you for that? Well, Father George Byers, uh, he's a Father Mercy, was the uh, teacher at the Josephinum that prepared us for confession. And he prepared us by basically, you know, laying out the most extreme, like, you know, this is going to be, you know, be those things that you will maybe see occasionally, but nevertheless, you know, he tried to, you know, unhinge you in the confessional so that you could be prepared for literally anything. Yeah. 
And so then once you, you know, you do start hearing actual people's confessions and, you know, you're expecting like all these crazy things that, you know, you heard in the confession practicum classes. But um, for the most part, you know, like the first couple confessions, they're just like somewhat awkward and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what do you say to this person? But very quickly, I found that, you know, you find a you know sp- space of comfort um, and knowing, you know, really letting the Lord work through you and to trust in the Holy Spirit to, you know, let truly God do the talking, to let that penitent know what they need to hear so that they can truly go forward to emerge from that confessional with, you know, sound advice to truly sin no more and to grow in holiness. Right. And I was just reading this week, St. Faustina, and she said that how often she would pray for her confessor. And I never really thought about that, but that's a wonderful thing we can do while we're online. Pray for our confessor, that he Mm -hmm. can be that vessel for God in that moment. What do you find most challenging about being a priest? At the same time, I'd say probably the 6.30 Mass. Uh, uh, <laughs> a.m.? Yes, a.m. Um, I always consider myself more of a night person, but at the same time, after a year and at this point, I am finding that I'm, you know, waking up, you know, before the alarm at this point, and so I'm starting to get into that rhythm of life of That's waking good. up for the early morning Mass, and so certainly after many years, I'm sure that will, you know, become, you know, second nature. But, uh, I mean, I say that, you know, in a lighthearted manner, but... Uh, at the same time, I guess the you know most difficult thing is uh, just the sense of seeing how much there is to be done and knowing that you know there's only a finite number of hours in the day to actually do it all, and so the desire to be able to want to do everything and only have to be able to you know do like a specific amount. Yeah, and as such a young priest, you're only thirty. Do you get to work with the youth at St. Matthew's? Yeah, we have an excellent youth program at St. Matthew's, uh, which and our Megan Thompsons are mm-hmm. you know. Um, coordinator there and you know the work that she's done with the kids I mean it really has made my job very easy in that respect because I mean she's got you know the kids you know from the time that she got there um, just so prepared and catechized well that it's just like they are just on fire for the faith and they're just you know begging to Enoch just they they want to hear that good sound you know teaching and yeah so it's just been a real you know edifying thing to see how you know good the youth are formed at saint matthews well and it helps to have a holy on fire priest uh, to be their role model so father ryan schmidt it has been such a delight having you on the program could you end with a blessing please certainly the lord be with you and with your spirit may almighty god bless you the father and the son and the holy spirit amen again thank you father ryan schmidt from uh, saint matthews and gehanna for sharing your faith journey on here on Answering the Call on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM 820. I'm your host, Elizabeth Ficicelli. I'm also a Catholic speaker and the author of 14 books for adults and young people, including Where Do Priests Come From, Where Do Sisters Come From, and Where Do Deacons Come From. And you can visit my website, elizabethficicelli.com, for more on my books and speaking. In the meantime, I hope you'll join us next Saturday at 10.30 a.m. and Sunday at 4 p.m., for another edition of Answering the Call, in which we'll meet more priests and deacons and religious sisters and brothers from our diocese and beyond to hear how God called them in their lives, how they responded, and, um, and, and deepen our own faith in the process. Have a great week. God bless. If you know a priest, deacon, or religious sister or brother that might be interested in telling St. Gabriel listeners how God inspired him or her to answer the call, Please contact us at info at saintgabrielradio.com.